Hey guys, it's Nav here. In this episode of Around the League, we got a special guest, none other than our boy Dayon. We had a lot of fun with this episode. We touch on the Super League fiasco in soccer, the Overtime Elite League, and our favorite storylines in the NBA as we neared the end of the season. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, we thank you for listening. We hope you're staying safe. Take care. Welcome to episode 33 of Around the League, Lockdown Edition. Today's a special episode because we have a guest that's no stranger to the ATL pod, the man, the myth, the legend, none other than Mr. Dayon Stajic. How we doing, family? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's great to be back here on the podcast, episode 33. Let's go, baby. Dayj, man, um, we've been looking to, uh, looking forward to chatting with you all, all week. You know, we were supposed to uh, hit some clubs around last weekend. Uh, unfortunately, shut down again. Yeah. Um, you know, how have you guys been doing with, with that so far? Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of become a normal course uh, for us these days or this last year. It's crazy where an entire year has gone. Um, but yeah, last week was tough because I personally was excited to get out on the golf course for the first time. I had a new driver I wanted to test out. <laughs> a shiny new driver? We, we, yeah, we were going to play, what, scramble with teams of four. My only goal was to have my shot used once, so like I, I thought that was attainable. I was really looking forward to it, so it was uh, kind of demoralizing to have that kind of snatched out from under us uh, the day before. Yeah, no, it was tough, only because, you know, Justin's birthday is always a tradition because the weather's always turning around that time of the year. Usually we're watching a Raptors playoff game, yeah. um, which, you know, obviously we weren't going to this time around, but it was, it was going to be fun because we had, what, four tee times, 16 guys, beautiful day. the weather actually couldn't have been better and yeah. it's funny because i thought raw i thought doug ford was going to do what he typically does and give us 48 hours to brace ourselves for the lockdown so you know we would have easily gotten our tea time in but no this guy hunkered down and canceled us within 12 hours and what a shame because i thought a the teams were actually really fair i thought it was gonna be a really fun afternoon and yeah yeah, it doesn't look like we're going to be golfing for the unforeseeable future. Yeah, yeah. But it is what it is. Hopefully this uh, kind of gets our caseloads down, um, gets uh, help, gives people time to get vaccinated, um, and gets us back to um, some sense of normalcy in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Tuan? Yeah, so what, we have like another month until they make another decision on... The lockdown or what the stay-at-home order? So I don't know, man. But to I'm be honest, positive here, Twan. Okay, yeah. Technically, it's supposed to go until May twentieth. It'll probably be extended until June twentieth. And let's just go. Let's hope for Labor Day. Let's hope for some fall. I just, golf. I just want to get a round of golf, and I, I got a new golf bag. I got some new gear this year because the last two years I've just kind of said fuck it. I don't. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to really invest a lot of money to the sport. But last year really, really got the the golf bug. So. I'm excited, man. Yeah. I, I need new equipment, though. I need new gear. I don't. I don't have like the actual like hardware, the like clubs. clubs. Yeah. 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 It's, Same it's, here. It's so hard to find any any nice sets, and I don't really know like the, the individual clubs and what's good or not. So I just want to get a nice set. But yeah, I'm using like a Sport Check <laughs> starter pack plus this new shiny new driver that I think is more expensive than all of my other clubs combined. <laughs> the the hard part for me, and I don't want to go too deep into this rabbit hole, but drive by a golf course they're so pristine right now the weather's perfect like they look so inviting and then they're just closed shut down yeah. locked up why are you driving around there <laughs> why do that to yourself yeah. <laughs> need to go for a stroll blow out some blow off some steam yeah um yeah let's dig into some sports um the super league it probably the biggest story in sports this year maybe even last year i yeah. don't think there's been a more um, polarizing, polarizing. Um, it's not even polar, polarizing. Like it seems like everyone was on the same side, except for the people making the decisions. But hands down, the biggest story in sports. Yeah. Essentially, you had the twelve best soccer teams in Europe ready to start their own league. Pretty much go rogue on the entire soccer landscape. Uh, there's probably no one I would want to hear about this from more than you. Uh, you bleed red. Physically, and, or literally and <laughs> metaphorically. Nice. A diehard Manchester United Red Devil fan. Yeah. Um, Dan, unpack this Super League fiasco with us. Okay, so to understand the severity of what they were trying to achieve and what they proposed, you have to understand how European club football is organized. Um, so it's a 
tiered structure. It's a pyramid, uh, in, in a sense, is what they refer to it as. And every country has their own domestic league um, that is organized in the, same, in the same or similar fashion. So I'll use the, the English football league um, as an example. There's, I think, five or six levels, and, at e and then they each play within a league. And each league, um, they, they'll play for an entire season, and the top three teams get promoted up to the next league. And the bottom three teams in that league get relegated down to the neck to the to the lower division. So their top league is called the Premier League. And in the Premier League, if you finish in the top four, then you get qualified to play in the Euro in the European League, which is the UEFA Champions League. But if you finish in the bottom three of the Premier League, of the English Premier League, you get relegated down to the championship, which is a separate league altogether. So in this sense, every game matters because you, you, there's no playoffs. You only look at how, how do you perform over the course of the entire season. So every game matters. You want to finish in one of those top four spots, and you definitely don't want to finish in the bottom three because then you're out of the league. There's no incentive to perform poorly, to tank, as there is in American sports where you know the, least, the worst performing team gets the top draft pick. So that's one of the pros of this system, in my opinion. The fundamental issue with this proposed European uh, Super League is that these founding clubs, so there were six uh, English teams, three from Spain and three from Italy, these founding clubs were never going to be relegated. They, there was no chance of them ever being kicked out of this European Super League. And that was the problem that football fans across Europe, across the world, the coaches of the teams, the players of the teams themselves had with this league because they believe that it should be based on sporting merit. You should qualify to play in Europe. You sh that's an achievement. That's what you should strive for. There's no sense of competition. There's no sense of sport if your place in that competition is guaranteed. And that's how this unraveled. And that's what these American sport sports owners of those top English teams fail to realize. So these the owners are American? Not of all the teams. So for so this doesn't work. To, so the European Super League doesn't happen unless they get the top six English Premier League teams. And of those top six, they're Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Tottenham. The owners of Manchester United, Liverpool, and Arsenal are Americans. Um, Chelsea is owned by a Russian billionaire. Um, Manchester City is owned by an, uh, I believe they're from the United Arab Emirates, and uh, Tottenham is just English. Yeah, I was going to ask you, with the Super League and you mentioning that um, the club's owners are American, are they looking to create a league that's similar to like the NBA or the NHL where it's based on like a playoff uh, matchup at the end of the season rather than you know determining your score throughout the or the, your point total throughout the year um, mm -hmm. are, were they planning to kind of have that format where you play X amount of games and then um, then you have a playoff series rather than having the relegation system and then yeah. having that seasonal point total right so not necessarily because they they saw the European Super League to be a replacement for the Champions League all of these teams were still going to play in their domestic leagues on the weekends but this was meant to replace the weekly competition. So like the Champions League, they play on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, what their problem is, is in the Champions League as it's set up right now, and I'll, I'll get to this point after, but like they're kind of choosing the lesser of two evils because UEFA and FIFA are no saints by, by any stretch of the imagination. But what these top clubs were trying to do is generate greater television or ratings or uh, whatever, streaming revenues, however you want to play it, um, by having them play, you know, Real Madrid, uh, Real Madrid-Barcelona every week, Manchester United-PSG uh, every week, as opposed to having, like, Liverpool play Serbina Zvezda, the Serbian uh, Super League champions, because those gen don't generate enough ratings. But as the champions of Serbia, Serbina Zvezda gets an opportunity to qualify for the existing Champions League, whereas they probably wouldn't get a chance to play in the... Uh, uh, yeah, in the European Super League. So that's, that's the, they wanted to have them playing the top teams against each other each week while maintaining their own domestic competitions in the weekends. So to your question about the format, 
it was probably going to maintain the same type of format as the current Champions League, where they play each other, mm-hmm. and then there's like a playoff, it's like a tournament. You know, it's not necessarily like playoffs, but I guess you could think of it like playoffs. But like the Champions League as it's set up right now, isn't like these domestic teams where like you're not getting relegated, you just get knocked out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. It's the domestic leagues that have the relegation and promotion system. So how did this all crumble? Because I feel like all of a sudden there was all this like hype out of nowhere about this league that's going to start. Um, all this momentum was being generated and then all of a sudden it just crumbled and evaporated. So what happened? Because in theory, this sounds like, um, you know, if you're one of the best teams and, and you're an owner, this sounds like a great idea. You're just making a shit ton of money. And as as a, you know, as a basketball fan, you see the frustrations among amongst NBA owners where revenue sharing, you know, there's a lot of times where these owners in the NBA that are generating so much revenue are frustrated because they got to give money to the Memphises exactly. that, that are not generating enough revenue, right? So this sounds like a utopia for the 12 best teams in soccer. Um, how did this go wrong? Because very rarely do you see um, a idea that's so economically um you know, beneficial crumble because of purity of sport. So yeah. how did this happen? So one of the funnier uh, memes that I saw was like a tombstone that said European Super League, Sunday night to Tuesday afternoon. Like that's literally how long it lasted, which is incredible. So they announced the plans for this and that the, those 12 founding teams had signed an agreement um, on Sunday night. And then like in the middle of a game, and this is like a big deal in England because um, they show all their games and stuff. And like the top like pundits, the commentators on TV started ripping into everyone. Former team legends from all of these English clubs ripping into their, their former clubs, but not, but not even them, just more so the ownership. Because no one on these teams knew that this was happening. So the coaches, the players, they had no idea. So then you, you, you get the next day when they asked the opinion of the... The Liverpool coach Jurgen Klopp, who two years ago had said he expressed like displeasure with this, he didn't think it was worth it. Man- uh, Manchester City's coach um, Pep Guardiola, they asked him, and he said, "It's not a sport if your success is guaranteed." So you have the players and coaches themselves being opposed to this and saying, "We had no idea this was happening." And then you have to remember how ingrained football culture and community is in the English or like British. Um, community and like their countries oh well just to just to interrupt like it looks like civil unrest when you look at some of like the protest pictures it looks like it literally looks like a military coup (laughs) so this is what happens and then the 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 sources were saying that chelsea and manchester city they have their owners have a lot of money uh, as it is they didn't really need the extra money they felt cornered into this uh, agreement because they were going to lose their top competitors so, you know, they, they want to play against the top competition week in, week out. If you see everybody else leaving, you want to join them so that you're not left by yourself playing, you know, whole city and stuff like that. So they were kind of on the fence to begin with, but they still agreed to it. And then what happened on Tuesday, Chelsea was playing a league match against Brighton, and they had over a thousand fans um, in front of the, the Stamford Bridge, in front of where they play, and they wouldn't let the team buses in. <laughs> they, they, they put a blockade and then wow. like literally they had the, the technical director who used to be their goalkeeper Peter Cech um, come out and plead with the fans like give us time we'll figure this out let the bus through and then shortly thereafter the, the news came that Chelsea was going to withdraw Chelsea withdrew then Manchester City withdrew and then shortly thereafter the four remaining English Premier League teams withdrew and without the English teams you can't have this league so it's really, and then ever since the fans have continued protesting because now they want their ownership out because it's shown how little they care about it. So do you think this happens without COVID? Or were they just desperate financially or was this something that kind of was in the background for the last months, years, or? I think it's been building for years and I don't think this is the last we'll see of it, truthfully. I think they'll try to make a different type of iteration. Uh, who was the Florentino Perez, who's the president of Real Madrid, he, and, and he's, he was going to be the chairman of this league. He was saying how oh, all these teams signed an agreement. If they want to leave, they're going to pay a huge penalty. And he's saying we're doing this to save football because we need to generate more revenue to help all these smaller clubs, to help the pyramid. Um, he says his club him, themselves, Real Madrid, uh, is 900 million euros in debt. So they need to generate some kind of... But like, to that point, I'll say... 
They also just announced that they're signing David Alaba, who's like a, a, a defender from Bayern Munich, uh, to a five-year contract, and his wages are going to be like 400,000 uh, euros a week. So, like, they're saying they're in all this debt, but, like, that's because they need to keep paying for all these players. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think you should probably dig a little deeper into Florentino Perez because from what I've heard and read, he's responsible for the landscape of soccer in which we know it now where, you know, the best teams essentially buy all the talent, right? Like, he was responsible for the Galacticos. Yeah, in, in a sense, yeah. So, uh, so it's no surprise that he has the audacity to create the Super League. Yeah, because, like, that's Real Madrid. Real Madrid is the probably the biggest club in the world, and they have been. They're 13 times European champions, and that's what they do as a top club. They buy the best talent from all the other teams, and that's that's what that's what all these elite teams are. But you just lose the beauty of not knowing what's going to happen because, like, think about, like, last season and last season's uh, uh, Champions League, Liverpool went to went to Belgrade and lost to Cervena Zvezda in a group stage match. Like they, they like the champions of England lost to the champions of Serbia. Like you wouldn't see that anywhere else other than the Champions League as it is right now. So you lose that kind of like underdog mentality. Think of like Leicester City 2016 or 2017. They were like long shot odds to even win the league, but they won the English Premier League just by just by consistently being good because you have to win throughout the entire season now this is separate for but like you lose those types of storylines if everybody just wants to stay in this elite little group and yeah to the question like does this happen during covid probably not like they were probably trying like they were trying to kind of sneak it under people and i'll say this too because they didn't expect in my opinion i don't think they expected um the fans to mobilize and to make their voices heard like they did in this case so two, three years ago, <clears throat> Liverpool introduced uh, an increased ticket on, uh, on game tickets. Like they were going to raise the prices and their fans got so upset. And I can't remember the exact number, but let's say they were raising it to 77 pounds per ticket. Their fans were so rattled by this and were like, no, like we're working class people. It's already expensive as it is. Like I don't want, I want to pay more for your ticket revenue. The next game that they played, the next home game in the 77th minute, all of their fans left the stadium in protest. Soccer's crazy, man. And then, <laughs> and, then, is wild. and the next day, they announced plans to take that back. That's like a tame story, you know. But like, soccer's yeah. crazy. Like, yeah. you would never, you would never see this in the basketball association because you know owners and they just have too much power. Like, soccer is truly a sport for the people. Where you know, when things aren't going the way the fans like. Like I said, it looks like civil unrest. Yeah. After Chelsea withdrew in that protest, all those fans that were standing outside uh, their stadium started chanting, we saved football. (laughs) Like, you think about the Maple Leafs, think about the Raptors. You know, think about how, you know, tickets for the Raptors have gone up at least 5x over the last five years. Um, Imagine that happening, like you said, like, there's no protest, we just take it on the chin. It's it's just a culture, it's, or it's yeah, it's like a cultural thing. Like in North America, you don't see that same like that same level of like fanatic type of people that are just going to go like be a fan of a team, but also like be so passionate about it that they're willing to. Really it's religion. Their lives. Yeah, it's yeah. religion. It's legit religion. Whereas like here in Toronto or wherever in North America, like you have so many suits at the game, then you can't really cheer as loud as you want. You know, there's kind of some restrictions on like how you should act societally yeah. um, in a game. Whereas if you're going to Serbia, you watch a basketball game, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. There's players everywhere. People are chanting, cheering, singing, just doing everything. Um, whereas, yeah, the North American um, side of sports is very like tame. Yeah, I know. Very relaxed, right? They are ruthless over there. Like, I remember there was a match. Manchester City was playing Watford, let's say, four seasons ago. And Manchester City, and the way they set up their stands was like, the, the visiting fans will have like a sliver of the stadium where they all stand together, which is for safety precautions. And then they have like security on either side of them. And Manchester City is up 8-2 on, on Watford. And their fans are chanting to the Watford section being like, who put the ball in the Watford net? Who put the ball in the Watford net? Half the fucking team did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, your sport is crazy when like a goalie lets in a goal and you're worried about his safety and his family. You know, it's not yeah. like you know Joel Embiid misses a free throw and you wonder if he's gonna wake up the next day. It's not like that, right? True, true. <laughs> but it just shows the money and the influence of money in yeah. in sports. And another example in the basketball world that we saw this week, 
you know, uh, overtime raising another uh, series of money uh, from potential investors, which included the likes of Jeff Bezos, Drake, a bunch of NBA and WNBA players mm-hmm. to fund their overtime elite league. Right, and that's that's what I get into next because there was another there was another you know moment in bas- in the basketball world that's sort of reshaping the landscape for top athletes between the ages of sixteen and eighteen. Right, um, it seems like it's a direct shot at the NCAA because there's been so much scrutiny about the NCAA. Um, you know, making a ton of money off top prospects that are essentially one and done and making it to the NBA and. Sounds like this overtime league is going to give players a lot of empowerment in the form of, um, you know, monetizing their name, image, and likeness. I think, you know, let's unpack the overtime basketball league briefly. There's so much to cover, but really, I guess what they're trying to do is address three pillars, which are uh, education, basketball development, and economics, right? And I just kind of want to hear what your guys' opinion on the overtime basketball league, because it seems like it should have happened a long time ago, in my opinion. I'm really excited personally for it because with social media and the buzz that can generate around a high school athlete now, it's going to be very cool to see them actually um, gaining from that momentum, right? Yeah. I don't think this league um, is created maybe 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think this league is created based off of the the hype and the just accumulation of all the attention that these guys are getting now. The the exposure that they get from all these... YouTube channels, all these social media networks. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy and it's, I, I love it. I, I love that idea because some of these players won't make any money playing professional basketball. Um, you know, they, there's gonna be a lot of hype. Some guys are gonna flame out. Some guys just won't make it through because they're gonna fall through the cracks. Yeah. But at least they'll be able to, you know, make at least six figures, they'll have some equity in overtime. They'll get great, great education. They're gonna get, you know, paid whatever, for how many years that they plan to play in this league. They'll get a good education and they'll be set, I think, or at least have a foundation for for, for themselves or in the family. To right. To kind of, you know, get get things going because some of these guys are just, they, yeah, they just won't make it. But at least it's a great step, a good alternative. And it's a nice thing to see after a year of the G League Ignite team being mm-hmm. um, a big thing in the uh, in the G League and in the bubble that they had a huge success um, in that format and those guys like Jalen Green, uh, Kamingo are going to be a top five pick and th- those guys were just yeah, 18, 19 year olds playing on a G League team. Yeah. Right. Right. So to give our, our listeners some context, I guess what we have to uh, what we have to frame is that so the overtime elite league is going to consist of the 30 top uh, pro- uh, prospects between the ages of 16 and 18. The normal pipeline is that they go to the NCAA, they play for a year, maybe two, and then they go to the NBA. In those two years, they're making no money off the momentum and the buzz that they're generating from their name. Um, so it's kind of like a utopia because the players are going to get a six-figure six salary. They're going to get disability insurance. They're going to get health care coverage. And then they're going to get $100,000 towards their education if they don't actually make it pro. Yeah. Um, what do you think of this, Dayon? Like, Do you see this becoming a true... Um, do you see this thing laying roots and actually becoming something for years to come? I mean, it seems like the foundations are there with they're getting backing from a lot of the top, like Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Durant were early investors in this. Um, so it seems like they have the backing of the basketball community. Um, I just, I'm, I'm slightly concerned because at the end of the day, they're still teenagers. Like they're still kids, right? So to be making that kind of money um, I just want to make sure that their interests are protected, that their families are protected in, in a sense like that. Like I don't, I, I could just like when there's that much money involved, um, I think like there's there's room for like you know sharks in the water, so to speak. Um, so I, I, that's part of my fear, and I just want want it to be so on that same light. Um, I want it to help in their basketball development too, if they're playing in this league. My part of my issue with the whole with the way overtime is set up now and what I see of it through uh, social media channels, a lot of it is pretty much just like highlights. Like we just want to see guys dunking on, on their competition. Like I feel a sense of like the basketball foundations and fundamentals and like what you need to actually succeed in a team environment in basketball is slightly lost. If I look at like the AAU circuit and things like that, I saw um, clips from an AAU game where at the end there's literally time on the clock and they're just having a dunk contest. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's losing like the actual sport. If you want to go back to what we were just talking about with soccer, like that, that's the only thing that I'm concerned of. But I think it's great in the sense that it pushes the NCAA to kind of reform um, or, and the NBA to, to react in a way that like lower the age limit. If these guys are good enough to play in the NBA, like let them play right out, right out of high school or right out of this overtime elite league. And I think the NCAA has been making those steps in, la- in the last couple of years, like when they changed the transfer rule. Now, if you transfer teams, you can play right away. You don't mm-hmm. have to sit out a year, yeah. which I think is kind of crazy because then now it becomes more of like a, similar to this, like a second tier NBA where like the top guys, if they're not happy in their situation, they just go to a different school. Right. Um, to, to, to sort of piggyback off of what you're saying, I think my, my main concern is the potential spinoffs. And, you know, I just hope that there aren't other overtime league competitors that sort of emerge and then it starts getting a little watered down and a little tacky with in terms of like empowering these kids of like giving them a lot of money. Um, but in terms of the in, the idea, I feel like the idea is pure, like even from an education perspective, like you're going to be giving these kids a four to one teacher to student ratio. Um, and the topics that they're going to be learning are more professional uh, centric, so like you're going to teach them about f- like how to handle your money as a professional, or um, you know how like public relations and how to carry yourself and how to speak. So I think the education aspect is going to be a lot more tailored to how to live life when you're a professional, yeah, which is kind of cool. The other thing too is um, the the backbones in terms of like their their organization. Like you got a former NBA executive, I think his name is. Aaron Ryan, he was like, he was like, a, he's gonna be the league commissioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Kevin Ollie as the head coach of the Overtime, Overtime Basketball League, who's formerly the UConn head coach. So you know, he's got a ton of experience. Yeah, you know, spearheading one of the most glorified basketball teams in college sports, right? So yeah. it seems like there's there's good bones behind it. Um, anything else you guys wanna you guys wanna share? It's it's tough to advocate for what the NCAA is doing when you can, like when there's rumors that Brad Stevens is gonna get $70 million from Indiana to coach their team. You know, like, and then players don't get any sort of revenue at all in the NCAA. So having these alternative solutions or um, options for these guys is huge because now it just puts more pressure on the NCAA, puts more pressure on the G League to be a better product. So it's just good to have more competition in that realm of like player development, the career path that these guys can uh, take on as young 15, 16, 17 year olds with huge potential, but you know, they don't want to just go down that one route, which is the NCAA that has been the only option for so long. Is that a legit rumor with Brad Stevens? Yeah, it is. Man, that's like, okay. S- yeah, $70 million for 10 years. Yo, we were praising this guy for, for the longest time when like Boston overachieved. Like, he should be getting more more of the blame for them underachieving this year. No, if, like, really, like, if you're that good of a coach, if you're gonna get seventy million from Indiana, and you're only getting it because you you freaking coached at Butler yeah. in the same state, like, and you just look like no, sorry, I'm going down <laughs> the wrong path, but you look like an an Indiana like basketball coach. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely flaws that the NCAA has to address. I think at the end of the day, this is just another option, right? Like, you're gonna have traditional families that have a son that's you know at that step where they could either go play overtime or you know get a proper education at a university you can still take that route this just provides another option for sure. top prospects so i see nothing wrong with it again i think my concern is that you know you get double overtime you know, as, a, <laughs> as a competitor and they're offering kids more money and then this thing just spirals out of control right well what was the what was lavar balls league the jba exactly was that the same thing weren't they paying players that flamed yeah, out. Yeah, I like think they month. were, but definitely not. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and it, it was definitely more sketch. I don't think it was. Yeah, it was probably. It was definitely structure. more sketch. I think there's still, you know, orders for BBB shoes that haven't been fulfilled yet that people have, <laughs> <laughs> people have still not gotten. Think, think of like the maybe like ten years ago when Brandon Jennings was a top prospect in high school, and then he went over to Italy. Yeah. Um, and that was like a huge thing, and then now guys are going to the NBL in Australia. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, Lamelo and. RJ Hampton, yeah. and so yeah, this is just like an evolution of that of that idea of hey, the NCAA doesn't have to be for everyone, yeah. but also the NCAA experience from like a student side of things, student athlete side of things, is just yeah next level. Also, like the NCAA will be fine because there's always going to be teams, there's always going to be enough players to field teams. The teams are always going to have their history, and the excitement of the tournament isn't like oh these players are so good individually. It's like 
oh, because there's so many games baked into the same uh, in, in a short little window, and all these teams, you know, are really even. Like it, it's a coin flip, whoever wins a game, in my opinion. Like there's no like dominant teams in the NCAA, so that's like that's its appeal. It's not necessarily for you know developing players. Yeah, for sure, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, not to mention like you know you still got the Shashevskys, the Calipari's. You know these guys are these guys are salesmen, and when they approach student athletes, you know they approach them with merit, and I think that there's always going to be a lot of sway in their favor when it comes to convincing even some of these players are thinking about going to overtime why they need to come to their come to their schools right yeah yeah i think this this upcoming draft is going to be huge it depends on how how far uh, or how early jalen green and um the the kaminga kid get drafted because it's going to bring so much more exposure to the g league yeah and the g league already is is getting a lot of you know just exposure from the the product that they've been able to or the players that they've been able to develop and just like the heat's development the raptors development we were seeing how important the g league is it was always an afterthought especially in the last few years but yeah i think just the success of the raptors miami being in, in the finals last year and then seeing how these two guys who are the main key marquee players on this g league ignite team um how early they go is going to be a huge impact uh, for the next few years yeah like, and then I, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse with that whole promotion relegation thing, but how cool would it be if the NBA, like if you finished in the, in the bottom uh, three, like at 28, 29, 30, like let's say Houston, Minnesota, and um, like Detroit, imagine they got relegated to the G League. Like how much harder they'd be playing now as opposed to like resting players or trying to tank for a higher draft pick. I'm just throwing that. It'll never no, happen. No, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, it'll never happen. I feel like we've talked about it before on this podcast. You know, the one thing, it, you say it'll never happen, but if there's anyone that's going to try something new, it'll definitely be um, Adam Silver. Um, I want to st- Let's stick with the NBA right now. Let's move on from, from this uh, discussion. Let's go on to the NBA because we're nearing the, the end of the NBA season. It was a shortened season with 72 games, so... Um, Let's narrow in on any narratives that you guys are playing, paying co- close attention to right now. Uh, maybe start with you, Tuan. Like, what are you, what are you focused on right now as we wrap up the season? What's catching your eye? Uh, just how nice it is to have the Knicks be successful. I actually enjoy watching them play well. Um, one because I like, I really like RJ. I, I really like RJ Barrett. I think he's an awesome player. I think um, he's developed so much. Um, in the last year, you know, I think he came into the league very like young, very raw. But just seeing his success of like the the level that he plays at, being kind of under the tutelage of um, some of these older vets, and also under Tibbs, and I think he's the number one reason why they're playing so well. Just his coaching, his his style of holding guys accountable, and just making them play. Like they don't have a very like talented team, I would say. Like uh, when you compare it to you know, the top four, top five teams in the East, they're definitely the least talented, mm-hmm. but they have a top four uh, record in the East right now. I think they're 33 and 27. And I think obviously the devel- development and play of Julius Randle is huge. I think he's averaging 24, 11, and six, which, yeah. is wild, which is wild. And he's shooting like 41% from the three, so that opens up a lot of his game. Yeah. And I think he's always been a, like a good, good player, but I think just having him as like the the lead guy on a on a young team um, and able to like kind of just facilitate out of the post. He can shoot the three and even like role players who are journeymen around league, like Reggie Bullock. Derek Rose. Impact. Derek Rose. And they got Kit uh, Emmanuel quickly from, yeah. from Kentucky who's a rookie. He was just playing out of his mind off the bench. So I really like what they're doing. I think everyone um, enjoys seeing them succeed, especially as a huge huge, you know, marquee franchise within the league. I think, you know, they've struggled for so many years, you know, they've been a laughing stock with, with Dolan as their owner for whatever the last 20, 30 years. And it's just nice to see them kind of get some shine. Yeah. Like when would you ever put the Knicks and culture in the same sentence, right? Um, it's, it's remarkable how this has worked out in their favor. I feel like last year there was just so much buzz generated about uh, Dolman or what's his name? Um, yeah their owner yeah dolan. yeah dolan there was so much buzz just being generated around the worst storylines with his name in it right and now now they're uh, one of the brightest spots of the nba um 
they are so set in so many different ways. They're only paying Julius Randle like $20 million next year. They got $60 million in cap space next year. So they can really do whatever they want and no better market to play than in the Knicks, right? Yeah, really. Um, what I really, and Bill Simmons, had, he released a podcast yesterday, the first 45 minutes, they're talking about the Knicks. And one of the things that he mentions is just how strong their culture is currently and how that whole team from top to bottom, you know, the first man to the 12th man, they're on their feet all game, just supporting each other. It's just a really, really positive environment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a superstar in Julius Randle who they didn't really want to target, I think, in free agency. He sort of just fell in their lap. Yeah. Um, and they just ran with him, and they're giving him the, the keys to the offense, and he's having like a Barkley-esque season. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's playing out of his mind. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's just so nice to see them perform well, and um, I'm, I'm excited to see how they end the season. Um, and, yeah, if they're like a top four seed, it's, it's going to be fun to see how they – the well, I hate it as a Raptor fan, just being in the Atlantic division like this, you know, because they're going to, I think they're going to be good for the next five years with the way that their salaries are set up, the way that their their team is set up. They're definitely going to land a free agent at some point. Like they're going to finally get that player now that they got their shit, yeah, shit yeah, together. You're, you're right. Um, so as a Raptor fan, it, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, the, I don't think there's any players this offseason. Uh, that that's a free agent that they that they're gonna sign that's gonna really change anything for them, but it's a it's a first step for them for sure. Well, one thing they mentioned um, in yesterday's episode is they could essentially get Chris Paul, and there's a little connection there with Leon Rose and World Wide West. Um, if he opts out of his contract with with uh, Phoenix, mm-hmm. um, they definitely have the pockets to pay a guy like Chris Paul, which you know they actually need. Um, a floor general because right now you know Der- Derek Rose is definitely serviceable, but yeah. um, you're going to need to upgrade in that position. Maybe Kyle Lowry. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, I don't know if they're there yet to like you know th- that that be like a missing piece to, to kind of get them over the hump. And Could you imagine Kyle, Kyle Lowry playing under Tibbs though? Yeah, I, I feel like he'd be a great fit. Might, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that would look like, but I'm, I'm sure he'll put, thrive in that situation. Yeah. Dan, what about you? What are you watching right now? Um, I'm really just watching to see how um, how quickly the top players can overcome injuries and get people back to like full health. Um, really, the only team that I enjoy watching or like that I'm interested in watching is the Brooklyn Nets, um, just because I want to see how that um, you know experiment unfolds. And I know that they're dealing with injuries with Harden, Kevin Durant, um, the likes. Like they just signed Mike James from the Euro League. Like I thought that was crazy like you know they're signing the EuroLeague MVP essentially to a 10-day contract um, that leads me to believe the injury with James Harden is probably a little more serious than they make it out to be because this guy wouldn't leave um, a top team in Europe to sign a 10-day right sure anyways um, so like I enjoy watching them play but then back on the injuries front like I think it just le- leads back to the point on like this whole pandemic shortened season if they're playing 72 games compressed schedules more back-to-backs less player rest you got the likes of, like I said, Harden, KD, LeBron's injured, Anthony Davis has been injured for an extended period of time, Kawhi Leonard. I just want these guys to get back to full health so we can see an exciting playoff run across the board um, and see things being competitive. And you know, every and Jamal Murray, sorry, like that too. That was devastating. Um, so things like of that nature. But like, yeah, the only I, I'm just looking forward to seeing if it really unfolds with the finals being um, Brooklyn versus the Lakers, which I think. It kind of has to be. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that that I'm closely watching. I think obviously the Raptors and sort of where they're at now. They're a half game. Um, they're a half game back from that playing spot. What's everyone's What's everyone's thought on the on the playing tournament? Real quick, boom or bust? I like it for for this year. I think it, it, it makes sense because it is a short short season and it's yeah it's a season like no other. So it gives. It, chance for teams that have been injured like the Raptors or teams that have been affected by COVID a chance to make the make the playing tournament possibly make the top eight and compete uh, but I like it as a Raptors fan obviously just because they'll get a high pick if they get that 10th spot and they get to battle mm. maybe play at least one meaningful game uh, uh, during the year with hopefully their their full roster yeah I think it's uh, two sides 
I think it's cool to watch as a fan. Like it'll give some excitement to those last four playoff spots, but I also don't like it from the sense that um, like you should be rewarded based on how you perform over 72 games. Um, so if you finish in seventh or eighth, like you, you should qualify for the playoffs, in my opinion. And I know they make it easier on them. You only have to win one game versus two and things of that nature. But it goes back to the point, like even Mark Cuban said, in hindsight, it was a terrible mistake. And he voted for it. Right. I think I think the problem that I have with it, I think there's got to be a little bit of reform or like tweaking with, with the general principle of it. Because right now, the way you have it is seven plays eight and nine plays ten. And then the winners of those have a, a best of three series. That is ass backwards, in my opinion, because why would the seven seed have to play the eight seed? Seven should be playing ten, eight should be playing nine, and then the winners should be playing each other for the play-in. Because you know, seventh seventh seed is not that bad, and I feel like they should at least get the benefit of playing the weakest of the four teams. Right, right now the way you have it, they're playing they're playing the eight seed. Um, obviously, as a fan, it like it obviously increases the spontaneity yeah but um you know from a standings perspective it just makes no sense in my opinion yeah that that part doesn't make sense to me but i i like it for this year i'm not sure what they plan to um do moving forward for next year but i like it as a raptors fan. yeah so i mean um so to go to move forward i think the narrative that i'm watching is the raptors because you know last week they were just in this in-between phase where okay are you tanking and i i think they uh i think masai ujiri might have kicked uh, Chris Boucher in the knee and got his he- got his MCL <laughs> sprain, but uh, because honestly, I feel like you know with where they're currently at, I know if they finish ten, they still get a high pick, but they could just go the other direction and be within the top six potentially, right? Um, so I mean, for them, the way that their season has gone, it's been a season from hell. I just don't see why they want to um, play Brooklyn in that first round. You know, if they do make it into the playoffs. I feel like they would take a dent out of Brooklyn, but I don't think that they could they could you know move to the second round. So if I'm the Raptors, I mean, let's get out of Tampa. Let's just get a high draft pick and move forward with our with our organization. Yeah, since we picked up Cambridge from a Raptors perspective, I think you've just seen a totally different team. That all they need really to kind of stabilize throughout the season was uh, a center that could actually play basketball. Mm. Aaron Baines was so atrocious throughout the year. He's actually the worst starter I've seen on the Raptors in so many years. He actually brings the team down like substantially. So having Kem Birch or even like Boucher um, playing the center position like here and there, it's made such a huge difference for that team. Again, they're coming, they're coming back slowly, they're getting more healthier, uh, but just having Aaron Bays not play any minutes has been just a refreshing um, thing on, yeah. in, my, in my eyes <laughs> to watch. I've actually been enjoying watching the Raptors the last like two weeks. I know they're on like a little mini winning streak, but it's just nice to to have even like a guy that signs midway through the season join your team, and that's the impact that he's making because yeah. of how poorly Baines has been playing. It's been hard to tell what like to your point now of what they've been trying to accomplish because there's been stretches of, of games, and I know they've been partly injured, but also like resting too in terms of like like you're not going to win games if Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet aren't playing. Like no offense, like Malachi Flynn, you might ha- you'll probably have a, a decent career. But you're not going to win games when it's going down to the playoff stretch with him as like your starting point guard. It's just he's playing exceptional as a rookie. Um, Red Van Fleet is what they call him, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's um, funny. I'm ex- I'm actually very excited about him. He's gritty on the defensive end too. No, he he's he's just a replica of a copy copy of Fred Van Fleet at at this at this stage in his career. He'll probably be like back and forth from the G League for a bit, probably for another year, and then he'll probably come off the bench as kind of the backup, but um, I think he's just playing well because he's getting the, yeah. the experience. He's, he's yeah, getting he's the minutes, right? Yeah, like, an opportunity to play right now, and he's playing through the mistakes of a young rookie. And yeah, um, yeah that, that's definitely the benefit of it, but obviously you want Fred Van Vliet in there. You want Kyle, Kyle Lowry uh, in the last 10, 12 games of the season, and we'll see if they can uh, sneak into the 10th spot. Yeah, definitely a weird season, um, and it's very weird to just read them um, as a team and as an organization right now. Um, I could see them rallying, getting into the play-in tournament, and like having a, an exciting playoff run, But or I could just see it being very underwhelming, very anticlimactic, kind of like the trade deadline. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of question marks with this team heading into the, the, like the offseason, especially with Masai not signing anything yet. There's still questions if he's staying or leaving. Um, Lowry, 
I think he's out. Like, I don't think he's going to sign two, three-year deal with the Raptors um, unless they make a splash in the, the free agent market, which I don't, I don't know what that could be, yeah. especially with, like, the limited amount of players that are in that free agent pool. Um, so, yeah, there's questions. And, like, we, Siakam, he's been playing a little better, but there's still a lot of question marks there. Like, do you continue making him the number one option and just kind of riding this out? We've kind of seen what happens in the playoffs, what's happened this year. Um, but again, obviously a very unfortunate year for the Raptors. Just a lot of, yeah, just things that aren't going their way. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how they finish the season. Yeah, I think lastly, last thing I want to mention is just the Lakers and what a tricky situation they're in right now because they're they're slipping along the Western Conference standings. Um, you know, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, sure thing, they can come back. But how good are they going to be when they come back? Um, it's going to be so hard to tell. And not to mention, you know, they're just digging themselves in a deeper hole. If they advance past the second round, they have to play a Phoenix or a Utah. Like, what a nightmare matchup. I don't, I don't see Utah, Phoenix, any of these other teams outside of potentially the Clippers beating them in a seven-game series. I, I think you obviously have to give him the benefit of the doubt. We just haven't seen this before where he's been out for such a long period of time this close to the playoff mark. Um, you know, usually he's getting some minutes resting and, you know, building his body and getting ready for the moment. But, you know, in this case, he hasn't played in like four weeks. How how did the Lakers uh, build that continuity, especially with Andre Drummond? You know, Andrew or whatever his name is, AD played his first game with Andre Drummond yesterday. Yeah, I, I, honestly, what Polinka has done is pretty impressive that they're able to get someone like Marcus Gasol in free agency, get someone like Andre Drummond in the buyout market uh, so they can stay afloat. I know what they're the fifth seed right now, but if they play Utah, they play Phoenix, I'm not scared. They shouldn't be scared, man. They're going to, they're going to kill those guys. They're not scared. It's, it's going to be, it, man, they could, honestly, they could potentially be a sweep if they play any of those teams. But I, I know those guys are playing well in the regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs, I've seen it too many times, man. Yeah. I've seen it firsthand with the Raptors, with LeBron. I've seen, what he did last year was incredible. You know, and um, yeah, they have AD too, and AD is definitely the the best uh, second yeah. um, two option in the league, and he's coming back. He's going to slowly get his groove, and I don't think they're having any issues. I think it's just the Clippers, kind of the silent team that's kind of been kind of just hovering. No one's really talking about them. Everyone's talking about all these injuries, all these other teams, and they're what they're they're third uh, in the West. And they're just, like just silently just beating teams. They got Rondo in the buyout market yep. or trade, whatever. So he's a huge piece. I think adding him, losing Lou Will, who's always been a perennial loser in the playoffs. He's never played well in the playoffs. And having Rondo, who, again, yeah. steps up his game in the playoffs, um, is huge for them. And I honestly, I think the Clippers have a really good chance. I think I think the Clippers in the, Utah, in, in the Jazz are very similar in that they have a lot to prove in the postseason. Um, obviously, the problem with the Clippers lays in the locker room. When the going gets rough, who's their leader? Who's that vocal player for them on the court? You can say Rondo. Uh, but Paul George also doesn't play good in the playoffs, too. So the Clippers and the Jazz are the I-need-to-see-it-to-believe-it teams for me. I think with Ibaka in there, too, I think we kind of forget. I, I, sometimes I forget that he's... Well, he hasn't, played, anyway. he hasn't like, played in, like, two months. He's yeah, got a back injury. Yeah, but, like, having him um, as your center... Um, instead of Zubats, is huge yep. in the playoffs. Yep. Massive, right? And I think Paul George has something to play for. He's you know trying to get redemption from last year's you know just terrible playoff run. And Kawhi, I think you just forget. How, again, this guy will just be a, an automatic terminator in the playoffs. We know where we're going to get from him. He's going to get twenty five, five and five, with, in, with great efficiency. And you guys, you have two guys who can make shots in the clutch. When you need to, so I think the Clippers are definitely like a um, not not even a dark horse. I think they're a true top two competitor in the West. Yeah. Um, after the Lakers, and then I see the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns kind of a tier below them. But yeah. honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two teams make it to the Western Conference Finals just based off the seedings of how they've been playing this year and kind of having that advantage of home court advantage and matchup advantages um, in the Western Conference. Looking at these rankings right now, I completely agree with what you just said. Outside of the two LA teams, I don't see anyone else being a legitimate contender. Um, I would have maybe two weeks ago said the Denver Nuggets, but unfortunately with the loss of Jamal Murray, I just don't see Jokic carrying them 
to an NBA championship by himself. Yeah, uh, they'll make noise because I think Michael Porter is playing better. He's going to have that opportunity to be the second option. And then having Aaron Gordon in there um, definitely helps. But, fuck, losing Jamal was such... It, it's it's a two lost seasons for them, I think. Just yeah. this year, I think they could have definitely made noise. Um, they have that experience, and he plays so well in the playoffs. And then next year, he won't come back probably till middle of the season. And you don't know how he's going to be like mentally, physically... Um, so it's tough. It, it could be two seasons lost because of this of this one huge injury. Yeah, I want to I want to stick with the Nuggets. I want to stick with Jokic, but I just want to mention like the Jazz have not moved from their their seating all season. They're shooting the ball at a ridiculous a ridiculous clip. They're deep, and like we said, you know, a few podcasts ago, it's that continuity factor that. They've just been together for so long. They've been good for so long. And it's there's no better season to have that continuity and that momentum than a season like this where there's so many injuries and there's just so much randomness that and unpredictability in this year's postseason, right? So I think it's going to bode well for them. I, I'm, I see them as a very um, serious threat. I think, yeah, no, no, you're right. I think last year they probably beat the Nuggets uh, with Bogdanovich. Um, mm-hmm. He's a huge factor for their team. I think even I forget that he's he's there. He's been kind of like um, switch teams here and there, but he's he's definitely found his home in Utah. They got Jordan Clarkson. He's six in- of the year. Eagles is playing just as good as yeah, Clarkson. Yeah. No, no, they, they have solid, solid role players, and it's just I question the two guys that lead their team in Gobert. How he's going to play in the playoffs when teams, uh, you know, try to find that matchup against them. You know, trying to have that stretch four, stretch five kind of take him out of the paint. And then Donovan Mitchell, I know he's killed it last year in the playoffs. But again, they weren't able to close yep. against a Denver team that, you know, we're on the ropes, down 3-1. Uh, so, yeah, we just got to wait and see. But Lakers, Clippers are still my pick. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jazz can kind of make some noise, but I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, I would love to see them do well, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. yep. but I got to see it to believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Um Let's talk about Jokic. Let's talk about Embiid. Let's talk about Steph Curry. Let's talk about the MVP race because um, this was a, you know, I don't want to have recency bias, but this was a very interesting week for the MVP front runners. And I'm throwing Steph Curry in that mix. I don't think he's going to get it, but I think he deserves to be mentioned. And you got to put respect on his name because the the guy is playing um, out of his mind. At a, at a level that I've never seen him play before. He's much he's must-see TV, and he's doing it without Klay Thompson. He's doing it by himself, and so many people doubted his ability to create for himself without other weapons on his team. Um, he took it literally, and he's he's playing like a maniac. But what I wanted to highlight is the two front runners, in my opinion, which are Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, because you know I think the MVP, a characteristic of the MP, MVP, has to be your ability to impose your will, and. We saw, I saw Nikola Jokic impose his will without Jamal Murray all week. And if he wasn't winning games, he was getting them damn close. Joel Embiid against the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday had the opportunity to absolutely impose his will on Kevon Looney. And he, he wasn't able to handle the Golden State's double teams, which was essentially Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins. They kept throwing double teams at him all game. He was getting frustrated. He was passing out of the double teams way too late. And, um, you know... Philly got their asses kicked by Golden State. Steph went off. He imposed as well. Um, I thought this was a very telling week for those two MVP front runners. Um, I think all signs point to Nikola Jokic. What about you guys? Sorry, I went on a bit of a rant no, there. No, it's good. Yeah, no. Uh, I think he is definitely the, the MVP for this year. Base and he's he's had a really really good season. But also you gotta take into consideration that a lot of the top MVP candidates have been hurt. For sure. You know LeBron. Had a great start to the season. He was, you know, heavy favorite, and the media was gonna get behind him, for sure. Um, Giannis, I think, if it was, if it, he hadn't won the last two awards, two MVP awards, he'd probably be definitely up there. He'd definitely get make more noise. This guy's still the Milwaukee Bucks are very good. He's still putting up like 30, 12 and like five or whatever. Like he's still putting up numbers. He's probably playing better than he has the last two seasons. It's just. Voters fatigue, right? Yep. And um, Embiid, again, Embiid, I think, is definitely a better offensive or defensive player. I wouldn't call him the better offensive player, but, um, yeah, he's been hurt. He's, he's 
played probably 18, 19 less games than Jokic. Yeah. So, yeah, I think just not by default, but Jokic is having like an amazing offensive season. Um, Denver is still hovering around the fourth um, seed in the West, and I, th- I think he'll get it for sure. I think just, you know, um, if he, if he, barring any injuries, I think he gets it. I wouldn't say for sure, just because you never know how voters are going to vote, and they, some people might tag on to different storylines and things like of that nature, but if you look at those two in comparison, to your point, Embiid has missed 18, 19 games. Jokic has played every single game this season. Yeah. Um, look at their records. They pretty much have the identical records. Like Denver is uh, 38 and 21, while Philadelphia is 39 and 20. And Nikola Jokic is top five in the NBA in points, rebounds, and assists. That's crazy. That's crazy for, for a center. So, like, crazy. say less. Yeah, like, I wouldn't even say default when, when because in terms of the durability factor, that, that just says a lot about Jokic and his ability to stay durable, um, you know, despite playing the way that he plays. Um, my whole thing is just the ability to put a team on their back. And, you know, I thought Joel Embiid had that in him. I haven't seen it. Like, this was a... This was a great, he played three games. He was without Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. This was his opportunity to sort of um, prove himself under the spotlight. You don't want to just, you know, um, make a decision based off a week, but it was just a prime opportunity to, again, impose his will, put his team on his back, and get some W's. Yeah, honestly, he's he's, he's played well all year, and I think we'll, we'll see what happens in the, in the playoffs. That's where we're going to finally see if he's able to put it together. Last year, you know, he he had, he had a decent season, but they they flamed out in the in the first round with him being the focal point with without Ben Simmons, and they still got swept by the seventy six or the the Celtics. So it'll, it'll be more telling uh, once we get to playoffs. And again, we'll we'll see how Jokic plays yeah. without Murray in the playoffs too, because Murray was such a huge yeah. component of their success. Him kind of playing two levels above what he really does um, in the playoffs, and we'll be able to see if. Jokic is able to elevate Gordon's game, elevate Michael Porter's game, and the rest of the team. Yeah. But once again, it's a regular season award. Yeah, so no, no, like for that, sure. You know, like it should be, it's based on the regular season, and I hope, I know they probably won't, but they'll probably still have that award show where they announce it, but I wish they would go back to announcing it during the playoffs so that you can have that recency and be like, yeah, he was the MVP, he deserves this award right now, as opposed to seeing the Lakers win the championship and be like, oh, why is Jokic the MVP? Yeah, no, I, I, I was more debating on like how you would see them as an actual like actual player in a playoff atmosphere i know that Jokic is the, the, le- the leading candidate to win the mvp but it's just like they're really close they're neck and neck yeah. in this race and i think Jokic is going to win it based off of the games that mb has missed but we'll see how they really play in the playoffs as, as you know as as a player in a team dan how would the country of serbia react to Jokic winning mvp like would we see would we see fireworks in the streets and like would it be that type of celebration? Like what what would we see in Serbia? Yeah, do you think would if it you be were bigger than like if uh, Novak wins another I don't title know. or oh, not another title? But I I just think back to when Djokovic won his first like Wimbledon and they had a parade for him and just like a, an assembly like right in front of the the national assembly it was like a flood of people. It was like as if the when the Raptors won the NBA championship. Wow. Um, I don't think it would be like that type of like, oh, we're going to go out into the thing because like he wouldn't be coming home with the trophy necessarily right after the fact, right after like the NBA season. But I think it would be one of the top achievements in, in, in national history without any doubt. Like to be the MVP of the National Basketball Association, yeah, remarkable. Is basketball the second or third most popular sport in Serbia? I would say it's probably second. Um, second. Yeah, second. The only the only reason people like tennis is because of Djokovic. Yeah, that's, that, that's why. Yeah, I so, that, so that's definitely gotten more recognition and uh, notoriety in yeah. recent years. But like I would say, it's got to be second after uh, after soccer. Damn. The this uh, like on a unrelated note, there's there's another kid. His name's Nikola Jovic. He played on the same team that Jokic played on, and he's supposed to be like a, a high draft pick. How old is he? Um, I have no idea. I just, I just uh, 
read read a little thing, but yeah, it's, <laughs> same, same. Like I think he's a big man too, who's oh. supposed to be like mobile and whatnot. So yeah, Megalex, Mega- yeah, 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 exactly. Probably has the same agent. <laughs> like like we said, you know, a few podcasts ago, you know, they build basketball players over there, not athletes, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, I want to see the Mavs do well too. I just want to see. Uh, Doncic get some pieces and hopefully they can put that together. But again, looking at those standings, I don't see those teams. I just want to see him keep roasting dudes to Eastern European folk music. (laughs) His Instagram is top notch right now. Yeah, his Instagram stories, every day after a good game. Miki Milan, got Vera Matovic blasting on there. That's awesome. Love it, boys. Well, it was great great connecting this morning. Um, Always fun. I had a blast. So glad we did that. Good times, good times. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks, Stage, for for covering or just uh, giving us some information on the Super League. I know that's a huge topic that we've been talking about, but I'm still kind of in... I don't really understand everything with with the year of football, so nice to have that breakdown. So thanks. Yeah, anytime. Yes, sir. Well... Tuan, we'll probably connect as we get closer to the playoffs, do a yeah. little playoff edition episode, and Dan, we'll definitely have you on again, maybe some, some playoff reactions. Who sure. knows? Yeah, whenever. But Looking cool. forward to it. Still awesome, guys. Here. Well, thanks so much for connecting. Um, to our listeners, always appreciative. Hope everyone's doing well um, in our lockdown. Uh, stay strong, stay positive, and we will connect with you soon.